The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at hearthealthradio.com. Here is Dr. Franklin Weefald. Hello, sir. Hey, hey. It's a great day. It is. Listen, we've got a bunch of things planned, but we'd love to have phone calls. 919-860-9783. The limit to how far you can go, really, on the on the radio has been kind of, we've exercised that. We've learned where you'll go. Yeah. And often enough, you're telling people, well, if I had a patient with that or like you, I might suggest this, but these are mostly questions or ideas for the next doctor. Yeah. Right? I, you know, last week we had a call about um, an issue and I talked to the lady afterwards and yeah. got a whole greater perspective on exactly what was wrong. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the, the thing that I learned from this is that physician-patient communication is terrible in a lot of situations. <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. Because the way this situation had been described to this patient was, or at least the way that she interpreted the description, right. is completely wrong. Yep. You know, and, and so what I try to do in the show and with my patients is use the kind of terminology um, that people can relate to in everyday life Mm -hmm. and not, you know, the terminology that we use. Right. So (laughs) let me give you a funny story. Um, One of my ex-partners, very good physician um, and extremely intelligent, had been in a room for about 45 minutes, and I was waiting to sign out so I could go home. And I could hear him, you know, through the door. You have an atherosclerotic obstruction in the left anterior descending coronary artery, and you need to have percutaneous transluminal coronary angioplasty followed by stent placement. Yeah. And the guy is like, what? You know, uh, and he's scared and everything. So I sort of stuck my neck out, and I went in the room, and I said, what he's trying to tell you. And, I, of course, I did this with a southern accent, which I'm not supposed to do on the radio. No, you So shouldn't. I'll just use my own voice. But you were very casual with your pronunciation. Yeah, and but, sure, you know, the dropped thing a few is, G's. people don't realize that a lot of elderly people's brains, um, just like yours and mine, yeah. are wired to the way language is spoken. Yeah. Right? So I don't get any hassle for speaking French in a Parisian accent. I mean, mm-hmm. they think it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. But if you speak English in a Southern accent to Southern people, they think that you're t- talking down to somebody right. or anything. Right. But anyway, so I walked in and I said, what he's trying to tell you is that you've got a hunk of fat 
<laughs> in the blood vessel that's feeding your heart muscle and not enough blood's getting through and you're having pain. So what we're going to do is go up your leg while you're <laughs> sleeping and put a little balloon across that fat globule, squish it, and leave behind a little metal thing that kind of looks like, you know, that spring on a um, ballpoint pen Sure. that's going to hold that thing open and you're going to feel better. Yeah. So he looks at me and he goes... Well, why didn't this guy tell me this in the first place 45 minutes ago? And so you don't have to, you know, think that your patients aren't intelligent. They didn't go to medical school. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, one of the reasons why I went into cardiology is it's got very simplistic, you know, um, uh, methods. Uh, it's like a toilet. I mean, think about it. Mm. It's flow. It's, yes. You know, mechanical, you you push, you know, you push on the handle. Uh-huh. Yeah. It opens up a valve, right? Yeah. Fluid flows through. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully it'll clean out the, you know what, in yeah. your artery. Yeah, it goes through a trap. Right. Yeah. And it's not hard. And I just wish more physicians would would try. And I think that's the problem. And maybe in med school, we should have a class in communication and how to... Um, let our patients know what's going on with them in ways that that they can understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, atherosclerotic obstruction in your left anterior descending coronary artery. Yeah, that's terrible. You know? That's, I had that, and I know it's bad. Right. But did your doctor explain it to you that way? No. No, you said I got a clog. A clog. I got to clear up the clog. Clear up the clog. Actually, you know, it's funny. One of them just went straight to the cure. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a... Uh, Mr. Alexander, you have this, that, or the other. I I had the what did they call it when they they squirt the dye and they they look in the, catheterization. It's catheterization, yeah. but we were not prepared to do any cathetering. Uh-huh. We were not going to do any any stents. Stents. He was prepared, but he really wasn't. He he took a look, and he said, "Yep, Mr. Alexander, you need a you need a bypass." Well, you're not weight med. You know what we call that? What's that? A look see. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, so think about it, you know. You had a positive stress test, and you're having some chest discomfort. Yep, yep. And we're going to do a look-see, you know, which brings us to our next story. Do we have time? You have time, yeah. yeah. What story is well, that? Well, before the break. Okay, so um, people don't actually realize that there is a way to look at the arteries without doing a look-see catheterization. Yeah. And it's called a CT angiogram. Right. So a CT scan is that big loop. It mm-hmm. makes radiation, and then they create, based on the pattern of, of the radiation coming through your body, they create a picture. And the CT scans have gotten so fast mm-hmm. and so um, amazingly accurate that they can actually see the coronary arteries to a very high detail. And, you know, you can tell where there's a blockage. And you can also tell now that they have these really wunderbar CT scans, how bad the blockage is. So the question always has been, when do we use a CTA instead of doing a look-see heart catheterization? And, you know, it's funny because I'd like to do that on a lot of patients, but I can't get the insurance companies to pay for it. Yeah. The CTA. Right. They want to go to a heart cath. Now, I just had an insurance company called Ambetter. Very, you know, uh, up and coming, I guess. Yeah. And they wanted the CTA first. And I thought, that's fantastic. But anyway, 
they did a study. They gave a thousand people a look see if they had you know moderate chest discomfort. It wasn't like they were going to have a heart attack. They had a positive stress test. They gave a thousand people the CTA. About twenty five percent in each group needed to have a stent. And so there was a crossover. Those who had the CTA and they found the blockage, they went on to have a stent. Right. But the big question is, what's the best first step after a positive stress test? Do you just go to the CTA and see what happens? If they need a stent, give them a stent. Or you do the heart catheterization. If they need a stent, give them a stent. Yeah. Turns out it was equal. Okay. In terms of whether you had chest discomfort or a heart attack at six months. Right. Now, a CT scan is an IV in your vein. Yes, it is. And then they give you the dye contrast, the clear liquid that shows up on the x-ray, and they wait. They can time it when it's going to go into the coronary arteries, and then they do the zzz, 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 and it's so quick you wouldn't believe how quick it is. And it turned out to be equal. Right. So I'm hoping that insurance companies will get on the bandwagon. Because even though you have a positive stress test and even though you have chest discomfort, remember a stent is not a cure. A stent is a treatment for the discomfort, okay? So suppose you're short of breath from the blockage and you have a tight blockage. If you put a stent in there, it's going to make the shortness of breath and the chest discomfort better. It's not going to keep you from having a heart attack. Right. Heart attacks are caused when the blockage clots. And and usually those blockages are not even tight. They're not even severe blockages. So if you have heart disease and you don't need a stent, that doesn't mean you don't have heart disease. The arteries are like a tree, the big trunk, big branches, and then little twigs. And you can have multiple blockages in the little twigs, which are too small to put a stent in. Sure. And so we use medical therapy, and that's blood pressure control, a beta blocker to calm the heart, something to dilate the artery like a nitrate or amlodipine or calcium channel blocker. They dilate the artery and then really heavy hitter statin. Yeah. You do that in an aspirin and you do that for the first six months and the people feel just as good mm-hmm. who didn't get a stent, who didn't need a stent, but had blockages as the people who got a stent. I might have been in that category. They put me down for the... Look-see. Look-see. But they kind of figured they knew. you were going to be a clog city. Yeah, they looked. <laughs> yeah. They, basically, they didn't even have me do a stress test. They didn't. They just looked at my shape, listened to the s- symptoms, and said, yeah, buddy, we need to get you on a table right. this week. This week. And they did, and yeah. they put in stents. But you and know, the interesting several thing, years later, I, um, yeah. a lot of docs like me would like to have a stress test. And the right. reason is... You can see which artery is the tightest um, because of the lack of blood flow. Right. So it might be that you got two 70s and 190%. Yeah. Yeah. And on the stress test, the area of the 90% was the one without the good blood flow. So some might argue, you know, put a stent in that one, yeah. the 90, and treat the 70s with aggressive medicines and see how the person does. Now, that is not the be-all and end-all. You don't have to do it that way. One of the nice things is that there are still um, options that physicians can take. Right. So there you go. Okay. And I think that if you have a positive stress test and your symptoms are mild to moderate, you know, you can go three aisles at Walmart before you get some tightness. (laughs) You know, we don't do, we used to do city blocks. 
Two block engine. Yeah, no, no. Who the heck walks in a city block engine? Nobody does. Not no. even people where there are city blocks. They Uber. <laughs> you imagine three Uber blocks? Well, I was sitting. I didn't get any. Yeah, that's right. You ask them, how many blocks can you go? I have no idea. 30, 40. Yeah, I just sit in the Uber. You know? Yes. But anyway, um, yeah. So if you can go three aisles at Walmart, and you might ask your physician. Don't tell them Dr. Weefald said this is what you should do. What you should say is, hey. There's this thing called a CTA, you know, CT angiogram. Do you think that might be a first good first step and yeah. see what he or she says? Very good. Very idea. good. Okay. We're going to talk. See, we talked about the heart for the first few minutes here, but that's not going to be the, the end of the discussion. You can go ahead and open it up to any other topic. Yeah. We've got some things that we need to, we need to discuss. The U.S. fatality rate in car crashes is up 21%, which makes zero sense. Uh, I because don't know. most people, I, I, a lot of people I know, aren't even driving in to work, or at least they didn't uh, during the lockdowns and, you know, the, the last year or two. All right, we're going to, apparently, North Carolina and a bunch of other states are going to investigate TikTok. Because this is a bad thing for our kids. Yeah, and I, I read the article, and I started to look at TikTok this week. You did? Yeah. And I think the people who design the algorithms must think that I'm really a freak. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because man, I, and hey. I can't believe what these young girls will do um, to get likes, to get followers, you know? And it's scary. It's really scary. I just, I, if I were... Uh, I had kids, yeah. you know, my, my daughter now in high school, she doesn't do that. She doesn't Good. do TikTok. Um, she does Instagram with her friends. I would, I would, you know, say no. And this one lady mm -hmm. promised her son, if he turned 18 before going on social media, he'd give her a thousand, he'd give him a thousand dollars and he did it. And so I'd like to do the study, non-tick, you know, randomize people to non-TikTok Instagram to TikTok, Instagram, and see who has a better outcome in life. Because yes. these girls um, are, you know, doing crazy stuff. And I, you can just imagine what I'm talking about because this is a family show. But, um, and, you know, they're glorifying in, you know, being, um, you know, loose, mor loose morals. It's right. like this is the way it should be. And I think it's, um, it's dangerous for our kids. Yeah. I mean, uh, We'll talk more about this and how you can lower your stroke risk and your phone calls at 919-860-9783, Heart Health Radio. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio. Coming up, Dr. Stephen Lohr of Triangle Vascular going to be on in just a few minutes. He's got some great stuff. This has to do with the prostate. Well, but also more. There's, there's more stuff about, you know, treating uh, conditions that yeah. used to be knife and cut or, you know, slam things into organs that you don't want slammed into. And they're doing it now vascular. And it's fascinating. And I want everybody to listen because I think I might get this for my prostate. Really? Yes. Yes. All right. Like... Just out of the clear blue, get this thing done. Yeah, why not? My prostate's big. I have some trouble with my plumbing, and I'd like to make it better. Okay. 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. 
Jimmy in Holly Springs. Welcome to Heart Health Radio. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm well, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Hope What's up? Doing well. I, I'm calling uh, because I was listening about uh, talking about medication and prior to stenting, et cetera. Uh, long and short, I have a family history of uh, cardiovascular disease. Okay. My parents, mother had open heart surgery at 43. Ooh. Younger brothers in their late 40s, early 50s have had it. And I do not smoke. I'm not obese. I'm on statin medication. I exercise, drink lots of water, try to get my rest, eat better than most people I know. Eat better than me. I'm still at risk for the problem. Yeah. Um, I take uh, my cholesterol. Everybody says cholesterol, cholesterol. It was at like 190 for years, and I got it down to 123. Doctor's just real happy. But I'm like, well, doesn't long-term statin medication also cause issues to to someone? Well, yeah, I I understand what you're saying. Um, This is one of the myths of um, heart disease is that the family history is destiny, all right? And, you know, let me tell you, one of the things to take the burden and the worry off of you is that, you know, there's your mom, there's your brother. That doesn't mean you. I mean, there's a higher risk for you, and I think – Family history is probably the greatest risk factor, but you're doing everything right. And in terms of worrying about long-term medicines, what you need to know is the studies have been done. I mean, these medicines have been around for a long time. So if you look at, for example, the statins, okay, they didn't exist when I started uh, my medical career, but I've been doing this for 30 years. And there are patients like me who've been on these medicines for greater than 20, 25 years. And we're not seeing, you know, long-term complications. Um, you know, we're not seeing people drop dead right and left of liver failure, although there can be some yeah. issues. Um, and I think that the thing that um, you're doing is fantastic. Um, and I think that you you need to worry less and I'm not going to tell you not to worry because worry is a good thing. It makes people think it makes people do the right thing in the most, in most situations. But I think, you know, we talk about risk benefit. Okay. So your exercise, the risk of exercise, you know, getting run over by a truck is way lower than the benefit of preventing a heart attack. Sure. Um, and taking a statin, the risk is way lower than the benefit. Um, I am just amazed at what we're finding out about statin. Not only do they uh, reduce your cholesterol, they prevent heart attacks. And not only do they prevent heart attacks, they've been found to be very beneficial for all sorts of things. Uh, Crohn's disease, um, for preventing strokes. And in COVID, believe it or not, the people who are on high-dose statins had a lower risk of being intubated and dying from COVID. Now, why is that? Anti-inflammatory. And with the inflammation of these blockages in our arteries is what causes the clots to form to lead to heart attacks. Exercise reduces inflammation as long, as long as you're not injuring yourself, yeah. you know. And that's why I believe in moderate exercise. I don't believe in marathons. 
Oh, the, yes, sir. No heavyweights. I walk and do calisthenics. Yeah, lightly. yeah. And you haven't injured yourself doing your exercise. No, sir, right? I do, I do military-type calisthenics to keep myself yeah. in check. That's great. Uh, and I, I, after my brothers had their heart attack, and both, at least my, both my brothers have had oh, wow. open-heart surgery. Let me ask you a question. Was your dad okay? Yeah, he, he didn't live long enough for us to know. Oh, okay. So he, he let me die, give you a sign. Sig- cardiovascular. Yeah. He died tragically young. Uh, what, but what? the grandparents stroke yeah. a heart attack. But, you know, older school folk ate okay. different diets, and cigarettes weren't bad for you 50 years ago. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, what kind of stuff have you had to look at your body? I mean, have you had any imaging, um, like a CT scan, to see if there's calcium on your coronaries? Um, yes, sir. I've had a CT of for my growing to my tip top of my brain. Great. What was your uh, calcium was score? Mild, mild to moderate calcification of the uh, aorta. Well, that's okay. But what about the coronaries? They can tell. It's called the coronary, the coronary calcium score. Cor- you know, sir, I don't know it uh, right. I can't remember. I always get my um, apopolyprotein APO level check yearly. Yeah, yeah. And they and I, they're telling every year I've had it done for probably ten years. And how was that? And it's good. Okay. Now, have they done something called the C-reactive protein, CRP? Yes. And how's yes. yours? They have. It's high. That, they, they said, I don't remember what it was because I yeah. regrettably didn't know you were going to be on this morning. I'd have had my scores out in front of me, so I asked you. Uh, I, have had, I have one cent in my right descending coronary artery because it was 74% blocked when I asked to be stented. Everything else was in the, like, mild, mid Okay, so you've already had a situation with a stent. I avoided one. Oh. My brother, my brother had a heart attack, and my young other brother had quintuple bypass in the same year. I said to myself, well, might want to get checked out. So the cardiologist who handled their cases... Uh, you know, did an arterial stent and found that I had one artery that could e- go either way. I could either stent it or aggressively treat it with meds. Okay, I get it. And I said, let's just stent it because you're in there, and I'll take my aspirin, and I'll continue to try to live a okay. good lifestyle by being in just okay. what's right for me. So now now I can tell you right now, you're at risk of having a heart attack in the future. Um, you're doing everything right. The I had a high CRP, and I had a blockage. My LDL is now 11, and I got my CRP down to less than 0.1. I take some anti-inflammatory medications, and we can talk about those later on. Just listen on the show because we've got to go to a break. I'll talk about the over-the-counter anti-inflammatories that might help you. All right, Jimmy, thank you very much. Coming up, Dr. Stephen Lohr of Triangle Vascular on Heart Health Radio Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to us. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts, now on Spotify. But the easiest way is just to go to hearthealthradio.com. And I know people who go every week, they click through. They don't have to do anything with their computer other than Get to hearthealthradio.com, mm-hmm. and then they push one or two buttons, and they're on. Yeah. They're listening to it. Easy. So it's a, it's a good thing. I haven't looked on Spotify yet, but I'm I'm going to try it. All right. Um, we've got Dr. Stephen Lohr here. He is, along with Dr. Franklin Weefald, uh, Stephen Lohr is with Triangular Vascular. And Dr. Lohr, 
my buddy, Dr. Weefall, just wants to talk to you about this this thing, this new technique. Yeah. Well, there's also some other techniques you're doing. How are you doing, Steve? Doing great. Thank Good. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, tell us about the prostate artery embolization. This is where you're going in someone and you're taking little spheres and you're cutting off the blood flow to the prostate. Now, that sounds real radical, but I guess this is really a big thing now and it's working. Yeah, it's a relatively newer procedure, um, at least in the, in the U.S. It's similar to what we do when we treat fibroids. So we use the spheres to uh, decrease the blood flow to the fibroid or to the uh, prostate. And this is for prostate um, enlargement, the BPH symptoms, where patients have urinary obstruction symptoms predominantly. And it tr- basically shrinks the, fi- uh, the uh, prostate and decreases those symptoms, those obstructive symptoms in patients. So. Uh, it's a very effective technique. Uh, it's, it's becoming more mainstream now in terms of clinical practice. So. I need more doctors in my life, so uh, I'm going to ask you: What is Triangular Vascular Associates? What is your what is the area of expertise? Um, is it is it heart? Is it uh, vascular all over the body? Yeah, I'm a, an, an interventional radiologist, so I use imaging to treat. Um, various organ systems. So I'm not one organ system. I'm not just the blood vessels. I can treat yeah. the body, the blood vessels, the bones. So it's a multi, um, multi-specialty multi sort of combination, special, you know, a practice. We, we treat blood vessels. We treat, um, we treat obviously, fibroids, prostate. Uh, we do procedures for arthritis now. Uh, so there's a variety of different things. Yeah, t- t- uh, that was pretty interesting. I saw that. You're, you're, you're embolizing arteries to the knee? Yeah, that's a, it's called genicular artery embolization, and that's for uh, osteoarthritis knee pain. Um, now, these are patients that are fairly severe in their symptoms. They're not quite ready or at the stage for a knee replacement, but they're failing the other techniques, you know, the oral medications and the injections. And, uh, you know, they, what happens when we embolize these arteries that go to the joint space and to the bone itself, it, it decreases the inflammation in that area, and uh-huh. I decreasing the. Are you are you like, are you like killing bone that's painful, or, or how does it actually work physiologically? I mean, how I would think that if you cut off the blood flow to part of the bone, it would hurt more. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. It, it, it's more to the um, to the joint, the synovium, and the, there's. Um, increased blood vessel formation, which is abnormal blood vessels when you get inflammation. And uh-huh. that's why, you know, oral medications decrease blood flow sometimes to the joint, and that can yeah. help with inflammation. And that's what it does. It doesn't really kill the bone. It just sort of decreases the the hyper, the extra blood flow that comes in that causes that, perpetuates that inflammation and pain. So suppose my prostate's real big, and I come in to see you. Um, well, you're going to put me on a table, you're going to go in my leg artery, and then, what, snake a little tube up, inject the clear liquid that shows up on an X-ray, and then you can see all the little arteries around the prostate, right? And then, what is it, little tiny spheres? Of, what are they made of that you use to occlude the arteries and kill that prostate tissue? Just describe to us what you do. Yeah, the procedure can be done either from the leg or from the wrist and the arm. And oh, wow. Catheter in and... You take pictures and get a roadmap of the blood vessels, and you define the blood vessels that are going to the prostate, the abnormal ones. 
And you get the, the, the fears, there's various uh, types of fears. Some of them are resorbable and they dissolve over time. Some of them are, um, are like a, 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 a gelatin type of material. The older ones were plastic um, and they don't dissolve. But uh, they're used for, you know, obviously for many other types of treatments. But yeah, they, they go in, they, um, the, the prostate's very vascular, so it's very, very hard to actually to cut off the blood flow where it would not be alive anymore. So it's it's one of those organs that or structures that won't really die if you put the put the tears in. But it does. You know, you do that, and then you take uh, your catheter out. So you're really not seeing any scar tissue, and it's much safer with less side effects than you get from a traditional surgery like a TERP. You know, the incontinence, the sexual dysfunction. That those are not really what you see in this procedure. So that's one thing that's very advantageous about this. It sounds amazing. I mean, why wouldn't people choose this as a first-line treatment? I mean, it sounds, I mean, it, to me, <clears throat> you know, um, I'd rather have a procedure like this where it's minimally invasive as opposed to, you know, getting a big tube shoved up my, you know what, and yeah. scraping out. You know, it's that's really sounds barbaric, and it feels barbaric. I mean, this is, like, amazing. Now, I guess if you can shrink a prostate, what about, are they looking at it for prostate cancer, too? Well, when we, we see a patient, we actually screen them for that. So they're screened for, to rule that out first. And then there's a various imaging studies that, uh, that may be done to either define the anatomy and also the volume of the prostate. So larger prostates tend to do better with this procedure. Um, we also want to look at some things like the blood vessels. So we're treating usually predominantly older men. So there can be some heart, you know, atherosclerosis in the arteries which can make it more difficult to do the procedure sometimes or even impossible to do it if there's blockages. So um, we have to get all that worked out before we actually do the procedure. So there's a little bit of planning involved, um, you know, before we do that. Well, it sounds amazing. Um, let us know, um, do you, if can patients call you directly or do they have to go through their physician for a referral? Um, they can co- go through. We like to work with their physician, so either the primary doctor or the urologist, um, but it is a patient choice, an option for them to choose, you know, a treatment option. And, um, I, you know, we, we are pretty inclusive or collaborative with most of the, the treating doctors. But I, we do, right. at least we would see the patient anyway and give them an education about the procedure so they can think about that in terms of making their choice in the future what they want to have done. Right. You know, they're in control of their own health in that regard. Okay, so the lesson for our listeners is if you're interested or you think it might help you, ask your physician to contact Dr. Laura Triangle Vascular. Yeah, one more point, if I could make a quick thing. The other yeah. procedure we do is for treating um, painful and bleeding hemorrhoids. So we do the same sort of procedure. Um, we cut off the blood flow or decrease the blood flow to the, um, the superior rectal arteries that cause, that, that supply the hemorrhoids from the arterial side. And by doing that, we can decrease the bleeding. Um, these are chronically bleeding and painful fibro- or, um, hemorrhoids that are not resolving with um, you know, conservative measures or ligation, and patients don't want to have a surgery, which can be uh, have significant morbidity, uh, or they just opt, they don't want to, or they, they're not a good candidate for it. Um, and that's another procedure that's um, relatively painless, and the patient's recover, recovery is much different than the surgery. So uh, we do it's called hemorrhoid embolization, and that's another procedure we're offering for. These are usually the 10% of patients that would either require surgery uh, or something more, so more on the severe end of, of the hemorrhoid spectrum. Well, listen, that sounds like a great idea. 
Thanks again. Thank we'll you, be man. talking to sure. you soon. Say hi to all your staff. And uh, I appreciate you. Thanks. You have a good weekend. You too. Take care. Dr. Stephen Lohr with Triangular Vascular. uh, The uh, website is azurevascularcare.com, but it's Triangle Vascular I guess they're part of a big group, a national group. Oh, they are? Okay. Tanya in Clayton has been waiting patiently. Thank you, Tanya. How you doing? I'm fine, Dave. How are you? Good. What's going on? Well, I had a question. Um... I have heard on WPTF advertising uh, for uh, scans to be done yeah. for heart and lung scans. Sure. Um, and I'm wondering, I, I considered making an appointment for myself and my husband. My husband has had triple bypass surgery. He's on the highest dose of statin he can have, mm-hmm. right. um, struggling to get his weight under control. Uh, I am also just would like to know what's inside of me. Just, I, I don't have any heart concerns other than an irregular heartbeat, which is I've had testing done for, and it's just proven to be a benign situation mm-hmm. that no one yeah. seems concerned about. So um, my question is, with these heart and lung scans, I'm wondering how specific are they? Who reads them? Are Is there radiation involved? I'm just wondering about risk versus benefit, and mm-hmm. if it's really something that you would advise for preventative health, um, is, is there benefit to this, and should I be considering this, as opposed to asking my doctor yeah. if I need it and then getting it from uh, a physician? Well, I'm going to tell you, talk to your physician first, no matter what. Um, okay. okay, this is a CT scan, so there is radiation involved. It's not much, okay? Um, it's, you know, a com- comparative to the astronauts going to the moon. Okay, so they flew through the Van Allen belt. None of them, you know, they all lived to old age. So it's not really a bad thing. You don't want to get a bunch of CTs in a year. Right. The key thing about you, and I'll talk about you in particular, what would it help? It would help identify whether you have early cholesterol buildup in the arteries to your heart and, and elsewhere. So, and, and then that can help your doctor decide how aggressive to be with you in terms of, you know, treating you with certain medications. They, the, the thing to remember is that the scans like this are most helpful in people at the highest risk. So if you have a high risk of pancreatic cancer, it might help. If you have a high risk of heart disease in your family history, it could definitely help. Now, with your husband... He's already had triple bypass surgery. So unless he gets a really fancy CT called a CT angiogram, it's really not going to help him because really this is to diagnose whether you've got heart disease or not. Now, the other thing is do either one of you smoke? I mean, because this is a really good thing for screening for lung cancer. We used to get chest x-rays. And we know now that, you know, you can have a, a pretty big lung cancer and have it not show up on a chest X-ray. So we have these lung cancer CT scans now that are very accurate in picking up tumors at a very small age. Um, and they're, they're more likely to be cured in that situation. So in terms of whether you should go and have this done, I know that I hear these commercials all the time. And I think they can be very helpful. One of the things you have to realize, though, is you may not need the Lamborghini scan. You might just need the Chevy 
you know, scan. <laughs> Uh-huh. And the Lamborghini scan, you know, they financed that for about $10,000, $5,000. And, you know, yeah, there, there may be things they pick up, you know, on the fancy scan. Um, but, you know, for you, you want to know certain things. Number one, do you have lung cancer? And even if you don't smoke, you can get lung cancer now. Right. And yeah, you want to know, yeah, are you at risk for heart disease? So do you have calcifications on your coronary arteries? So right. talk to your doctor, but I, I'm a big favor of the CT scan to look at calcifications of the coronary arteries because that really will motivate you. You say, whoa, that motivated me. I thought I was invincible, and then I had, I had a lump in my arm, and I had a CT scan, and it showed that I had a, you know, a fair amount of calcium and cholesterol in the artery they call the widowmaker, the big one. So my LDL got down to 11. I mean, it was 178. I got it down to 11. And basically, it's going away. So for me, that was a really good thing. And I think for a lot of people, it's a good thing to know their risks. And that's one of the extra risks. But in terms of getting your whole body scanned, I don't, I, and I may be wrong, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't seen any evidence that getting a whole body scan has been shown to reduce your risk of death. Does that make sense? In other words, yes. you know, did they find that you had something um, uh, that, redu- you know, cured to reduce your risk of death? Not with these whole body scans, but with the CT lung scan and the CT coronary scan, it has been shown to make a big difference uh, in terms of motivating people to get on the right program to reduce the risk of heart attack. And also to quit smoking, to to find those early lung cancers and cure them, which is a lot easier to do when they're tiny. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. God bless you. Bye bye, Marie in Raleigh. Marie. Oh, Marie. Welcome to the hey. call. Welcome to the What's show. Up? How you doing? Oh, <clears throat> do you know Doctor Nupani? Who? Doctor Nupani. I think it's Nupani. Is his name? No, I don't. He's doing the new uh, balloon uh, where they have uh, oh something my. they put on it, a big balloon. Well, I like to die, Dr. Weefall. What happened? The man saved me. Um, I went to two months ago over at Duke. Yeah. They uh, said that my arteries looked fine, maybe some that didn't need stenting. Uh-huh. For two months, I, went, I, I was getting up pretty good. But about uh, two weeks ago, I started hurting in my chest. Uh-uh. I said, well, I know it can't be a heart attack because they said my, I was fine. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, uh, the first doctor, he said it was fine. Then I had to go back to the emergency room uh, last Friday night, and uh, uh, they did a catheterization the next morning, and uh, this other doctor found it, and they wanted to send me to Duke, but I said, no, they have somebody at uh, Wake Med. And this man that I saw, I've got a paper here about him. He's the only one in North Carolina have, that has uh, doing this with uh, uh, something they put on the balloon. Oh, it's a coated balloon. Coated balloon. Yeah, and so I'm they, yeah. You, Dr. Weepall, I had, I had my, it was my widow maker. And also, I, they put two stents in. Yeah. And I mean, I was right ready to go out of this world. Yeah. No. Well, I don't know if you remember, Marie, when I did your heart catheterization that time, remember you had gone to another doctor and they had yeah. said they didn't find anything. Well, your blockage was very hard to find. 
and you had to put the the camera in a really really far angle to see it because it was coming off of the main artery and it was the just where you described where it was now and a lot of times doing the heart catheterization you got to know what you're looking for and so you know with you they had to probably put that camera way over on the side to splay out those arteries and see where they are because they can be hidden on other views so that just goes to show um what a real good doctor you had to uh to do you know go the nine yards to find that blockage and fix it all right marie thank you i want you to look dr paul i want you to that doctor up okay how do you spell his name uh well it's uh d-u uh or any uh tiny p-a-n-n-e i think all right i'll look him up but uh he's at weight med so good and he saved my life and thank you so much all right thank you marie you have a great day all right take care marie this is heart health radio jw from sanford has been hanging on we're going to get with him in just a moment this is heart health radio You know you make me wanna kick my heels up. You're listening to Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. We're shouting out JW in Sanford, who's waited a lot longer than anybody else has. Thank you very much, JW, for joining us. Uh, you're listening to Heart Health Radio. Hey, how you doing? Oh, fine. Uh, enjoy your show. Thank and, you. Um, the reason I'm calling, I just had the upper. Uh, body scan, well, the heart and chest yeah. and lungs. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. I've just been hearing it on your radio. Um, I listen to WTF every night, all night. And so I went and had that done, and I, my daughter did too. She's yes. 52, and I'm 78. I've had AFib for 24 years. Wow. But no other heart problems and um, I was just wondering what you knew about that new scan and it uh, sounds like it's um, pretty good yeah he's got did you JW did you have the scan done and have you gotten the results no I don't have the results yet I just had it done last Friday oh okay so I'm very yeah, he just wants to know what do you what do you think they could find? Oh, okay, all right. They could find that your heart is enlarged. They could find that maybe there's a blood clot in there. Mm-hmm. They could find uh, that you've got calcium on your arteries that may be blocking the blood flow. There's all sorts of things they can find. But I'm more curious. You've had AFib for all these years. And you've done well with it, huh? You haven't gone into heart failure. You haven't had a stroke or anything. No, I had. After two years, I did have another um, high heart rate, and I went to the hospital. Of course, they got that down in three days. But yeah, um, I just went. I've had trouble with my legs, and uh, I found out I have calcium in one of the arteries. Uh huh. And I've got to go back and check on that. Okay. And uh, I have diabetes, too. So. Uh-huh. Are you on a blood thinner? Oh, yes. Yeah. With Zarelto? Right. Yeah. So did you used to be on warfarin? 
No, uh, I was taking aspirin, and then uh-huh. um, when this blood thinner came out, they put me on that. Okay, that's a good medicine, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see what the results are. Did you have the one from head to toe? No, just the heart and lung. Just the heart one, the heart and lung. Well, you never smoked, did you? No. Good. Well, so, yeah, your risk of having a... Yeah. Yeah, so your risk of having a lung cancer is lower. But that, you know, I tell you, um, I've had five classmates uh, from college die of lung cancer. Really? And not a single one smoked. Not a single one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's something called radon, which is a gas. They all Mm -hmm. live in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the chemicals floating around in the air or the radon or whatever. But I think, you know, it's a real good thing um, to get that chest and heart scan. Um, especially if you have, you know, the, the risks for developing lung cancer, the risk for developing coronary artery disease. But let me ask you a question with your AFib. Do you get dizzy with it at all? Can you tell your heart's beating funny? Well, if it uh, goes up over 100, a lot of times I can feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't been dizzy with it that I know of. Yeah. Did your doctors ever think you needed to have it fixed, you know, like a cardioversion or an ablation? Have they brought that up with you? Not, I'm not saying you need it. I'm just sort of curious about how physicians now are approaching AFib. A lot of them are saying, let's just get it back in rhythm. And the old-fashioned way of thinking was just control the rate and put them on a blood thinner, you know? Yeah, they haven't gone into any other details or other tests, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing the cardiologist told me was, he said, you know, we know your heart's not in good shape, but um, I think right now I'm not going to change any of your medicine, and let's just continue to watch it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable situation. And, of course, I don't know your whole history, how strong your heart is, but it sounds like you've got good, caring doctors who are watching over you, so that's what you need. J.W., thank you. I've got um, two other things. Oh, um, you do? Right quick. We've got about two other minutes left in this uh, hour, but go ahead. Okay. Um, my cholesterol, you know, has been high over the years. Mm-hmm. But, but the last two times now I've had it checked at 146 and 144. All right. So, you know, I thought that was way better than 200 and some. Sure. Sure. Do you know what the LDL is? That's the most important number, the low density. The L- LDL, yes, I have that. I have my test. For oh, great. Last blood test. Um, the LDL cholesterol calculated said 91. Yeah, that's not bad. 91. Yeah, so it's below 100. And, you know, if you've never had a heart attack and that's a pretty good number. Um, now that I know I've got a blockage, I wanted mine as close to zero <laughs> as possible. Yes. And, you know, it, it's just, it depends on, you know, whether you can tolerate the medications, what your risk of having a heart attack is. But it really, it sounds like you've got some, you know, great medical care. And just stick with it. Do me a favor, though. Next weekend, if you have the test results back, um, let's see what we can talk about them and see what they are. J.W., okay. thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Is the hour gone? 
Yeah, the hour's gone. Come I'm on. Uh, you know, all I can tell you is that Heart Health Radio goes at the speed of sound. <laughs> and the speed of BS. <laughs> we can't get we can't get the hour back. There's more Heart Health Radio coming up. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor. The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, spot medical misinformation, and I think have a good time. I'm having a good time. Listening to the show, participating in the show, that's always wonderful. And you noted earlier the given with Heart Health Radio. When we have more calls, then we have more calls. It's almost like one caller gives the other caller a permission to dial. Yeah. So here is the number, 919-860-9783. And we never got to the story about U.S. car crash fatalities actually increasing over the last year. Yeah, that really surprised me. It really surprised me. Could it me. be something to do with the emergency rooms, something going on in the emergency rooms? Uh, I'm I thinking don't know. no. I mean, that- I, the, the, the thing that they're looking at is that, like everything else, it's from the pandemic. Sure. And so when people weren't driving, obviously the number of car crashes went down. Right. But now, um, according to Shannon uh, Frateroli, she's a researcher at Johns Hopkins, the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Her philosophy is that when people started driving again, the pandemic was like, okay, there's this pandemic. We're all going to die. Why should I wear a seatbelt? Okay, let me have another beer. And I'm, you know, it's a plausible explanation. Sure. But I don't know. I'd have to see how many of the car crashes were associated with alcohol, how many of them were, you know, late at night and, you know, the, the things you usually see in in these horrific crashes. But uh, let me just say this, okay? It's, it, my brother died in a car wreck when he was 31 in yeah. the peak of his life. I mean, he was a full professor at Stanford in computer science, artificial intelligence. Yeah, what a waste. And right. wear your seatbelts. Yeah. And don't even have a sip of alcohol if you're going to drive. Mm-hmm. And don't text and drive. I mean, just don't do it. And it's just not worth, you know, that little inconvenience. If, if someone's texting you and you want to answer them, just remember, it's not just you that can be injured, but you can hit somebody else and injure or kill them too. Um, you got to take driving seriously as as a responsibility to the other person as well and it's just it's just such a tragedy i've got young daughters who go out and they like to go out and they uber out uber which is a very unique thing right Uh, in a certain age you you would like people would put parties on Mm -hmm. or companies would put parties on and they would say 
okay, if you've had too much, we'll pay for the taxi home. Right. No, no, no. These young people are Ubering from their apartment out right. and then plan to Uber back right. in. Right. I did That's that That's so smart. Night. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing, just make sure your Uber driver is safe. Well, there's that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I, I, have, I haven't heard too many Uber driver wrecks. Have you? I think you think that'd be in the news. I mean, every now and then you hear about an Uber driver doing something crazy. But I don't think that um, Ubering is dangerous, you know. So I think it's a lot less dangerous than driving when you've had something to drink. And yeah. also when you're tired. People, people falling asleep behind the wheel is yeah. not a rare occurrence. Yeah. Take driving seriously. Yep. Jerry calling from Cary, North Carolina. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing good. Good. How can we help you? I have a question um, for Dr. Weasel. Sure. There's there's a product that it's it's called Delta Ace, and it's an extract from hemp. Hmm. And I wondered if you've had any any experience or any opinion on it. Well, I haven't heard anything about that in particular, but I can tell you, hemp is marijuana without the marijuana. You know what I mean? Hemp is the same kind of plant, but there's no THC. And that's the the chemical that makes you have euphoria, or as they say, get high. Um, there's a mm-hmm. lot of evidence that that things in hemp can be good for you. Now, I'm not telling everybody to go out and try these products, but I personally take um, what they call CBD, which is a uh, oil extract from the hemp mm-hmm. plant. And you know, I, I don't know. Does it make me feel better? Yeah. Um, I happen to um, have the ones uh, that have a, a little bit of green tea in them, yeah, which kind of perk mm-hmm. you up a little bit. Um, I, you know, I'm going to tell you right now that I don't think they're harmful, um, and I think that there is a lot of evidence that the uh, hemp and CBD extracts can reduce inflammation, um, relieve some of the aches and pains that you have. I don't know if there is a definite benefit on, you know, um, your happiness quotient. But um, what I tell all patients uh, is that if it's not harmful and it makes you feel good, then I have no problem, you know, with somebody taking it. Jerry, I, I have a story which could be alternately funny or scary, depending on how you take it. I'm a funny guy. All right. Well, here's the thing. I've never, ever smoked pot, never done anything like that. The hardest, uh, hard liquor still the the, the my only thrill at all. You know what I'm saying? I'm an Okie from Muskogee. I got, I got no interest in any of that. All right. Members of my family bought me some Delta 8 edibles. No. Mm-hmm. I okay. see what you're looking at on your computer. All right, here's the That's got three letters, T H C. It's got two, yeah. Here's that the is... thing. All right, here's the thing. I my wife on a Sunday, my wife opened the bag and hands me the thing and says, These are the edibles the kids brought over. Here, have some. I ate the whole bag. Are now, you kidding me? Now, here's the thing, Not Jerry. To do that. Jerry, it's a three ounce bag. Okay, Jerry, it's not a big family size oh, okay. chip. I was thinking, no. you know, like a Snickers bag. A, little, a bag, a bag of Snickers. Tiny thing. Okay. We oh, went okay. out, we started doing our 
our rounds. We're going, you know, picking up things at the garden center, going here. At a certain point, I lost all ability to keep track of time or individual <laughs> thoughts. Jerry, I would I would turn to my wife and say, where are we going again? She would say, Dave, we're, go- we're going to the hardware store. And then nothing, nothing for 30 seconds, I would say, now where are we going again? <laughs> At some point, she found me in, I was in an all-you-can-eat salad bar place. Okay, we were, we'd gone for lunch, thought it was a good idea to get some something to munch on. And I couldn't find my table. I'm walking around <laughs> with an individual oh. plate full of vegetables Walking from place to place, having no idea how to find my wife. She says, Dave, get over here. And she wouldn't let me get up again. This is dangerous stuff, okay? Hmm. Do not drink and drive. Do not THC and drive. Do not Delta 88 and or Delta 8 and drive. Have I have I made my point? I understand loud and clear. So do we, let, let do, me ask you. Go ahead. Do we, do we know any long-term effects of this kind of thing? Uh, yeah. Um, the only things to worry about in some people, uh, you get diarrhea. Okay. So uh. sometimes, and that's an idiosyncratic thing. Uh, sometimes the skin irritation, you can get like little rashes and stuff like that, but there's no data that says there's long-term harm from taking these supplements. And I don't think there's a lot of evidence that'll keep you from having a heart attack. I think there is evidence that you can have less joint pain because mm-hmm. of the reduced inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it, if it doesn't hurt and you try it and it helps you, then I think, you know, more power to you. All right, Jerry. Well, yeah, I, I took some of the stuff. I did. Yeah, ha- what? I took it then called the doctor, but uh-huh. <laughs> um, it did make my my joints feel much better yeah and it's but very very possible of, yeah. i got a little bit of what dave had too that euphoria feeling which yeah. was controllable for me it wasn't like i didn't eat yeah. the whole bag either i took, yeah. took one of them um and it wore off in about an hour and a half but the pain relief stayed with me the rest of the evening yeah and i well, slept through you. the night and i never do that do you, do you take turmeric or turmeric too I do. Yes, yeah. Thanks to you. And I think How it's much great. Did we take of that. Um, I. You know what? The dose of things like that is is not specific. You know, you go to your doctor, twenty five milligrams of Miracle Med. You know, and you got to take exactly that much. Um, the the different supplements have different amounts. Okay, so. I, you know, you get capsules of turmeric. I got these big, big honking uh, pills from um, Wegmans. I figured mm-hmm. Wegmans has got to be into that, you know. Yeah. That's where I get my CBD, too. But anyway, two, you know, two capsules, two pills. And, you know, the thing about turmeric and these natural things is that they can't hurt you in whatever dose. And so you might as well give yourself enough. Um, and by that hurt you, I, yeah, you can get diarrhea from it you, if you take too much. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just sort of say two. You know, why? Okay. Two, two is better than one. Two right. is okay. Yeah. Now, there are things you don't want to double up on. You know, you don't want to take a whole lot of vitamin A and you don't want to take a whole lot of vitamin K. Those are fat soluble. Uh, what's that mean? What that means is it can get in your body and just stay there. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that to happen. How about ginger and how about milk thistle? Have you tried that? 
No, I'm writing that down. Oh, wait a minute. We did try ginger. We didn't. Um, we bought fresh ginger. So we're just trying to. Yeah. It's kind of a sharp taste. We're trying yeah, to you can do it that way. It takes a lot of oh, fresh ginger. Yeah. The capsules of ginger and the capsules of turmeric. There's a lot in there. Um, it's like, I don't know if you've heard of this balance of nature. Um, it is fruits and vegetables that are specifically treated to get rid of all the water in them. And all you're left is with the vegetable, you know, the, the solid part. And so I can't get enough vegetables. Okay. I mean, I love broccoli and I love asparagus, but you know, my schedule, you know, how am I going to do that? So I started taking these capsules called balance of nature and I get the full complement of what I'm supposed to have every day of fruits and vegetables. And, man, I tell you, maybe it's psychological, but I feel better. I mean, I feel like I have more energy. Now, could I take six capsules of these instead of three? Sure, because it's just like eating more vegetables, okay? This is a natural thing that's Mm -hmm. not going to build up in your system, and it's not toxic. So when people ask me about supplements, I always say two, (laughs) You know, um, whatever they give you, take two. And, and, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in chemicals. So if somebody's new to this, do not think of me as, you know, from California, you know, Hey dude, let's get some CBD and some turmeric. These things actually have been shown scientifically to have a benefit. Um, and you probably expect me if I'm one of these natural kind of, you know, eaters, not to like chemicals. Wrong. Okay. Without chemical drugs, life itself would be impossible. So I believe in whatever works. And with things that are natural supplements, if it, and they're not harmful, they don't have the Qinghua Chinese root that causes, you know, I'm just joking. There's all sorts of these crazy Chinese medicines that are pretty dangerous. But, you know, if you're going to do it, and it's not harmful, and it makes you feel good, there's only one downside, okay? Hmm. Some of these things are expensive. Oh, okay. You know? I mean, I get people who come in, and I tell them to bring their medicines. Bring, and I, no, I say, bring everything you put in your mouth, you know, pill-wise or whatever. And I got 20 bottles of vitamins, you know, and three pills, three medicines. And they say, do I have to take these medicines? And I look. And they got vitamin C, they've got elderberry, they've got, you know, all these things that can't hurt them. But I tell them, don't ever complain about how much your medicine costs because right. those 10 bottles is probably $250 a month. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Are you buying the expensive stuff or are you getting, you know, pretty reasonable? Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a value shopper. I went by price, and I'm wondering, am I shooting myself in the foot by doing that? Yeah, where do you get How your... I know a good one from a bad one. Yeah, where do you get your stuff from? Walmart. Where do you get your medicine, I mean, your supplements and stuff from? What store? Mostly Walmart. Yeah, yeah, Wally World's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, Wally World's got some good stuff. Um, I, you know, I used to go to GNC and buy the high-powered stuff. Yeah. And that stuff's expensive. Yeah. You know? But I think, you know, for example, um, CoQ10 is something that I use. It works to prevent muscle aches for some people. I don't know if it's psychological, you know, because there's a lot of psychological things with statins causing aches. But, you know, they, they get this QNAL stuff that they see the, that guy who's on the doctor's selling. Mm-hmm. And that stuff's $100 a month. 
But, you know, I just tell them, go to, go to Wally World and get the cheapest one you can. The yeah. chemical is the chemical, you know. Yeah. So I'm, uh, let us know over yeah. time how you're feeling. Sometimes a lot of these supplements can, can take weeks to kick in. And, mm-hmm. you know, exercise. Get, you know, get your 20 minutes a day in. And, you know, don't smoke and all this stuff. And then call us back in a couple weeks and, you know, let us know how you're doing. All right. Jerry, thank you. One, God one bless. more question. Now, yeah. Turmeric, ginger, and then the balanced nature. And there was one more thing, some kind of thistle or something you said? Milk thistle. Milk thistle. Now, it's not made out of milk. That's the other thing. You it's know, not. it's not milk. What it is is a, a herb or a herb, or, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That's got a fluffy thing on top that's milky. It looks like a milky thing. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. All right. so Jerry, thank you. All proven thank to reduce guys. inflammation. Right. Take care. Right. Take care, Jerry. You know, I, well, I got to gotta start a company. You know, I got to sell this stuff. I'm you kidding. You do. You do. This, okay. The balance of nature. I do. None of the stuff that I promote yeah. do I get no. anything from. I no, just want you, people you, to know right. that I don't get anything. You know, I don't get a kickback from. You know, Lipitor, I don't get a kickback from Balance of Nature. These are things that I can recommend right. from the bottom of my heart that I think they are good stuff. And this is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts, now on Spotify and hearthealthradio.com. What a strange segment of the show this last little bit was. But I'm happy that we, I got that off my chest. I think it was strange. It was strange. It was strange. No. I wanted to tell that story, but at the same time, I wanted people to understand that I'm, I'm sort of a straight, I'm... I'm what, Let me ask you, were you, euphor- I know your mind was in a different place, but did you feel euphoria? Did you feel a sense of well-being and happiness at the same time? I felt a sense of stupidity oh, okay. and inability to accomplish anything. <laughs> really, honestly. <laughs> How is that different from the rest right. of you? Okay, you know? it was another day ending in Y. What it was, was that, at some point, my wife just got tired of dragging me into store after store, so she left me in the car, and I had no <laughs> sensation that I'd been left somewhere. In a, at some point, I had to remind myself that I was doing errands with my wife, but but it was pretty obvious because I was in the passenger seat of the car, right? Yeah. And just sitting there playing the radio. That's, I'm just, yes, there was no joint pain. Let's okay. put it that way. There was no way. joint pain. There, you were feeling no pain. There was no joint pain. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have Rose Hoban on from North Carolina Health News. There is a shortage of nurses. It's getting to be a big deal. Yeah. You see this? Or yeah, do you hear um, about this? I do. And I'm really worried about it. Um, uh, nursing care is so essential to mm-hmm. everything that we try to do. And um, there's a lot of burnout, um, but I think also there isn't enough planning. And I'm really dying to hear what Rose thinks. There isn't enough planning for more nurses. Um, 
And the other thing that I've seen is some nursing schools are flunking out like half their students. And I'm really wondering if it's really that the students aren't any good or what is it? Because I'm, I've, I've met some uh, young women and men mm-hmm. who flunked out of nursing school and they're really studying hard. Right. And the questions that they ask me, you know, well, this is one of the questions that was on the test. I hate to say it, it was an absurd question. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to need to know this for? And why do you need to memorize all these formula when that's what you got your iPhone for? Right. You know, I, I your peripheral brain. And so I, I'm dying to hear what Rose has to say about it because um, it's. I think it's going to be a real problem. And you know what's coming? We don't have enough doctors either. Really? Know? Yeah. It's going to be. It's good for me. I'll sure. Never run can, out of patients. That's right. But you know, we it's we need more doctors. Talk me mm. out of going back to school to become a nurse. Talk you? me out of it. It's too much work, isn't it? Uh, too much work for a guy so. like me. No, yeah. I think if you've got a bachelor's degree, you can do a two-year degree in nursing and be an RN. Yeah. Yeah, and then you you know get some experience and and do well. But um, I, I we need more nurses. We yeah. Need more, and we need more good nurses. So there's a story out that cardiologists actually are happy in marriage. I was statistically. surprised. Yeah. You're and surprised because so, you know cardiologists. Well, I do. And, and then I went to think. Um, just about everybody that I know is a cardiologist is happy. Yeah. Yeah. I went to dinner last night um, with Pavlin and Trebko and with uh, Josh Maycumber from Cary Cardiology. Both of them happily married. Um, you know, and that's just a random survey, but I'm going through my head right now and I, you know, unless, you know, you don't know what goes behind closed doors, Sure. but I think that's a a very fascinating thing because the cardiologists themselves, I don't know a single one that hadn't had some element of burnout. And I think that Josh and Pavlo, I had dinner with last night are handling it very well, Mm -hmm. but I know some aren't. And it's really tough right now to be a physician in the United States of America. And you know what the main thing that we complain about in burnout is? What's the that? Paperwork. Really? Now, it's, there's not paper anymore. It's computer work, right? Yeah. But the interesting thing is that the amount of time spent with the patient is equivalent to the amount of time that these doctors are spending on the computer. It's uh, ridiculous. That's terrible. Ridiculous. All right. Well, we'll talk more about that. Also, hey, there's a new Omicron. Omicron BA2. We just, we needed another one. I ain't worried about it. You're not worried about it. Okay. No. I might not bring it up then. No, bring it up. All right. We're going to talk about that coming up. Rose Hoban is on in just a moment. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio, either on the radio or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just going to hearthealthradio.com. And if you want some additional health news, go to NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Rose Hoban joins us. Rose, welcome to the program. Great to have you on the, the air again. Hey. 
Hi, how are you? Ah, terrific. terrific. We've been missing you. We- <laughs> yeah, well, well right. I was walking in the Arizona desert. I went oh. on vacation. I'm so jealous. Good for you. I'm oh so my God, jealous. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Everyone should go to the Grand Canyon once in their life. Yeah. It's amazing. It, nothing, no pictures can explain it, right? No. It no, just, absolutely not. There yeah. are there is no way to explain the way yeah. the Grand Canyon looks. It's, and it's, I think if there's anything that describes the word breathtaking, yeah. it's the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. didn't do that airplane trip, did you? That helicopter stuff, that's dangerous. No, I did not. Good. Did not. We were we went walking my whole trip and it was, you know, it was about after two, almost two and a half years of no vacation because of the pandemic uh-huh. and just working, working, working. Uh-huh. My goal, and you know, you would you understand this, Dr. Weasel, was to actually move my body. Yeah. So we hmm. walked um, three, four, five miles. One day we did a seven mile hike. We went hiking every day um, in different parts of Arizona, in the Saguaro National Forest. Uh, in in near Sedona in uh, Grand Canyon, and the whole idea was just to walk yeah. as much as possible every day. Did, did to you move our bodies? Did you walk from the rim down to the river, all the way down? Not all the way down. No, um, we we it was our first time. We didn't realize how long it. That we, again, you have no conception of it. You get there and you're like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. so ginormous. So we have determined we're going to go back next year, and and we are going to you know set aside enough time to walk all the way down to the river and walk back, which is a five thousand foot elevation gain to walk wow. back. So you have to really. Uh, we met a woman who leads hikes on our way out of the canyon. We walked about a thousand feet down, wow. and on the way back out, this woman. Joint, you know, we ran into her, and she was like, Mm-mm, "Smaller steps, just take small steps. If you can keep talking and walking, <laughs> that's then true. you're in good shape." So that's what we did. But we're going to do it again next year. Rose, talk to me about this survey of state nurses in North mm-hmm. Carolina. It looks like we are going to have a nursing shortage that is biblical. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, for a long time, North Carolina did really well on our nursing staffing. Like, we were doing okay. This was about 15, 20 years ago. And I think we took our eye off the ball as a state. And um, and so we stopped doing the things that we need to do to recruit nurses, to retain nurses, to train nurses, you know, to recruit a big – I didn't even – get to the question in this story because it's a separate story it's part of the pipeline problem Mm -hmm. is the lack of faculty because a lot of our nurses graduate from community college where the faculty you know make maybe like they make 50,000 a year 60,000 a year but right now as a nurse you can make 80, 90, (laughs) or Uh, in in some cases, what people are telling me, $110,000. So if you want to, to, recruiting faculty has been a real challenge for the schools, and a big chunk of those are older nurses who are looking to retire. Sure. So we won't be able to replace the pipeline because we don't have the nursing faculty, 
And then, you know, even though we're graduating maybe like 1,200 nurses a year, that sounds like a lot. Mm -hmm. But every year, like the average age of nurses just keeps creeping upward. Um, When I did my master's thesis back in uh, 2003, um, the average age of a nurse in the U.S. was about 43. And now the average age of a nurse um, uh, in uh, North Carolina is 45 for Metro and 46, right? So the average age is slowly creeping up, right? right? And so, and then you have like a 46-year-old nurse who's worked two years through the pandemic and is like, oh, I'm done, and says, I'm going to retire a couple years early. I'm going to like aim at you know, 52, and I'm only going to work a couple more years right? and then take, like, a clinic job rather than be in the hospital. Because, mm-hmm. Dr. Weefel, you know, no. working in the hospital is very physical. It's, 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 it is not an easy job. It's not. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to harp on this again, though. What made it more difficult was all the requirements for documentation that have come on in the last 10 years. It is absurd. Have, have you been in the hospital seeing what we have to document? I, I, I mean, I've watched when I was going through my cancer treatment. I saw everything that they were documenting. Yeah. I mean, but, it's just you know, ridiculous. Like, I, but I think that the, the things that the nurses are complaining about, they're complaining about, yeah, that, but they're complaining about, like, too many patients. And as you know, mm-hmm. the patients who are in the hospital now, they're, they're sticker, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't. We don't bring those sort of like those quote unquote easy patients in the sure. ones who are like a one day pre-op, right? And that you know you just have to kind of you know keep them and maybe do some pre-op stuff before they have their surgery the next day. Like everyone who comes to the floor is pretty darn sick. Yeah. Um, and so the the care is heavy. You have the documentation. The patients are heavy. Right. Yeah. You, ha- you mean they've gained weight? Uh, you know, we know that the that what is it like something like a third of American adults is obese. Mm-hmm. Ah. So if you're having to move a patient, yes, right from a bed from a gurney to a bed, that's a strain on a nurse, right? Mm-hmm. And like you know, you, you we've never met in person, you guys and me, but I'm five foot two, and mm-hmm. lifting patients when I was when I was practicing lifting patients, I I injured my back, I injured my wrist, right. So, like, that kind of stuff is a strain on nurses. Um, And then one of the things that I talked about in this story is that during the pandemic, everybody needed more bodies, right? They they just needed more bodies to, like, care for all these really sick patients. So what they did was they hired these traveling nurses. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. Travelers. So here you are. I'm a staff nurse. I've been loyal to my institution. You know, it's like I've seen my... I've seen my patient acuity go up, but I'm still loyal to my local hospital where I work. I've seen the number of patients that I'm caring for go up, but I'm still loyal uh, you know, to my employer. I, I'm loyal to my coworkers. And now, here's, here's this pandemic. We really need extra people. So is my hospital going out and hiring more people? No. And then you're hiring travelers. And oh my gosh, here's this traveling nurse. She, because they're mostly she, she comes in. She's, she doesn't know where the sheets are. So I have, like, she taps me on the shoulder. Where do I get an extra sheet? Oh, you know, where do I get this? 
how do I get this out of the out of the med cabinet? How do I do? And so you're constantly kind of like helping them do their job, and you know that they're making two to three times what you make. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of frustration out there amongst nurses. Absolutely. And and I spoke to four different nurses who were like, you know, because we put out a call, like, please talk. And I when I got to them, and they were like, oh my god, and then I'd say, well, will you? Will you go on the record? And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, no." Yeah, I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't blame right? them. But they want it, but they want to complain because this is an unfair system. Right. Yeah. And okay. and and they're feeling and they're feeling the frustration. So you know, there's a real and this Erin Freer, who I quote in the article, she works at UNC. She's a healthcare researcher, and she's been studying workforce issues for several decades. And she got up in front of the legislature. She said, I've never been as worried as I am right now. Hmm. And I was like, oh, and I know her. I mean, like, I talked to her, and she's really, boy, she is a sharp cookie. And she comes to the legislature. She talks really fast. And she does these presentations that are very dense in information and data because we do have a good data. We have a good data in this state. We, mm-hmm. we count nursing and we count healthcare workforce very well. And Erin has helped us design that system so that we can track what's happening with healthcare workforce throughout the state. And uh, so lawmakers know who she is and they respect her and she comes in and they always say things like, we're always happy to see you. We're not happy to hear what you have to say, but boy, we really love to hear what you have to say because we know it's really good information and that's, you know, you give us actionable items to do. So, um, but Erin was very clear that, um, where we something needs to change, and um, it's not clear what that's going to be. Right, but uh, it was um it was a little bit of a whoa kind of moment. Good article on NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Also, there's one about Omicron BA two. Those okay. articles available to you. Just uh, you can sign up for the newsletter, or you can just go to the website NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Rose, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Look right. forward to talking to you more consistently in the next couple oh, of months. Oh, I'm glad Very you good. had the time off. You Very deserve good. it. Thank Very you. Good. Thank you. All right. So Omicron BA2, you say don't worry. Well, I mean, what are we going to do? Worry the rest of our lives? Yes. You know? I mean, yes, I a, am. It's an Omicron variant. Uh, hasn't been shown to be more dangerous. Um, if you look at the graphs, I mean, the cases have plummeted. Yeah where the death rates are going way down. Um, Yes, we need to be careful. Uh, Yes, we need to be vigilant. But yes, we need to lead our lives and move forward. I mean, you know, we've been paralyzed for two years. Time to get on with our lives. Skip in Raleigh, welcome to the program. Hi, Skip. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for taking my call. Boy, this was like as prompt as possible. That's amazing. Well, we Um, had time. Dr. Weefel, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a healthcare guy as well. Uh, I recently retired from a a great health system here in Raleigh. been there 50-plus years. Um, And so, Dr. Weefel, I'm going to hang up and let let you comment. Um, No doubt um, the electronic patient record is what it is. Um, And where were you and I when two guys got together and decided that Epic would be a good idea? And why didn't we invest uh, $12? (laughs) But having said that, could you comment on 
the impact of kind of the commercialization of healthcare. I can't even keep up with, um, for instance, Cone Health, who who owns them today, because yeah. the other day it was Atrium and it was Wake Health and it was UNC and uh, and and the same things happening to physicians' offices. So, could Absolutely. you comment on the impact of that and yeah. the attendant uh, productivity expectations? And I'll I'll hang up and listen. Great, thank you, Skip. All right, so this is a um, a topic that is near and dear to me because I think I'm finally the last one, the last cardiologist who's in private practice. I own my own practice. I it's me. Mm-hmm. And back in 2010, when the Affordable Health Care Act became law, January 1, you had everybody bailing out. And they cut cardiology reimbursements in some procedures 40% in one day. And so you had my ex group, uh, Wake, uh, Wake Heart and Vascular, they bailed out and went to UNC and it changed everything. And what has happened is that physicians we're facing cuts in reimbursement. And when you join a big organization like UNC or Duke, um, you have a comfort factor where you don't have to constantly worry that there's not enough money coming in. These organizations are so huge. And in addition to that, they have advantages um, in reimbursements. So the larger the organization, the easier it is to negotiate reimbursements for income for physicians. And there's another thing that if your office is on the campus or attached somehow to a hospital, you get from Medicare a 100 and some dollar bonus for every visit as a facilities fee. And so I have a facility, but I don't get the fee. You know, it's because I'm not part of this lobbying organization that happens. Now, the other thing that is just just gripes me is that a lot of these organizations limit what a physician can do. So you have certain number of times you have to be in the office, certain number of patients they want you to see, um, certain things you can do uh, in practicing and other things you can't do. Your boss may be a non-physician. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but may not have had the experiences that you've had to understand, you know, sort of the um, nuances mm-hmm. of practicing medicine that require sort of going outside the box. Um, and what's happened in medicine now is it's a juggernaut of money. And everything now is hinged upon these organizations and their um desire to bring in enough money to support the organization, expanding the organization. It's become like this giant octopus reaching out and grabbing everything. Right. And I tell you, a lot of my friends would bail out to private practice in a minute if they could. Now, the guys I had dinner with last night, um, Pavlin or Trebko and, and, and Josh Maycumber, they're in a separate group. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are not owned by anybody and they're enjoying that. They're doing well. As an individual practitioner, my overhead is higher than it would be if there were, say, three physicians in my office, you know, and stuff like that. But what I have that to me is, um, you know, uh, priceless 
is that it's my show. And it's my, I can run it the way I want to run it. Now, I have rules that are national rules. Medicare Mm -hmm. has been uh, a bugaboo for me because they have... They have raided the office, I like to say. They showed up one day. There is no way you can be doing all this yourself. You have to be committing fraud. And, you know, to see the number of patients, you would have to be working from eight to six every day. And guess what? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I went through this two-day thing of them tearing tearing out the practice and stopping me for two days. And they even went surreptitiously, knocked on patients' doors. And said, does he really do this? Does he really do that? Now, the good news is, is that I passed. They didn't claw back a dime of money from me. That's what this company was doing. They, they would only get money be paid if on a percentage of what they claimed I ripped off from Medicare. So what's happened now is it's all become don't trust the doctor. You've got to trust the organization. The organization is king. And... You know, it's become a tragedy for me. I think American medicine is being assaulted um, by bureaucrats and by people who have never, ever talked to a patient, examined a patient. They are sitting there in Washington, D.C., making regulations, adding more paperwork, um, taking mm-hmm. physicians away from the patients and putting them on the computer as data entry folks. And they're doing the same thing to nurses. And so, yeah, I, I think that we're at an inflection point. Right. And what I'm hoping is that more physicians will have the guts now to realize you can do it on your own, just like cardiology is and just like my practice is. And you can be happy and you can get out from under the yoke of of these large organizations. Now, I love Wake Med, and yeah. I think that their hospital is great. Um, and, and yet, I would hope that the physicians who work there still have a modicum of independence that they can control their fate in one shape or another. All right. This is Heart Health Radio. We're going to talk about physician side gigs in oh, other yeah. words, there are doctors, doctors who are working part-time jobs. Can you imagine that? I have one. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're the right. Right. He's doing it now. Physician side gigs coming up next. This is Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me wanna kick my heels up and This is the Heart Health Radio Network. You told me half a story when we were we weren't talking on the radio, and I want to hear the rest of this. Are you thinking of another another part-time job? Well, okay, you can call it a job, or you can call it an adventure, okay? So, <laughs> Rachel Marcus is a cardiologist, and she's an expert in this rare disease, and she's got a pizza place, okay? <laughs> now, is it... A Domino's franchise? No. Yeah, I don't but know. But she's got um, a artisan pizza place where yeah. she, you know, has a few things going on. And, you know, people, it's not, you know, a huge deal. Why does she do it? She doesn't need the money. And it's it's because we get so absorbed in, in being a physician. Mm-hmm. Now, some guys play golf. 
okay? Yeah. And that's, you might call it a, 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 a hobby. But these gigs are just that, where you've got something that you're producing a product, yeah. okay? Yeah. Now, of course, there are all these physicians who have these supplements, you know, and they're selling, you know, things that are snake oil and they're making money off of that. But here's what I've done as a side gig. I drove an Uber. Okay. Now, <laughs> why would I do that? Well, it became, it started, it started as a dare from my daughter, Eleanor, because I, when Uber started, I was Petrified. I didn't want her to take an Uber. I was afraid she was going to get murdered in an Uber, you know, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. She says, Dad, you had to drive it. You know, yeah. I challenge you to be an Uber driver and see what it is. <laughs> it's a great thing. So I got my Uber license. You know, you get online and you give your driver's license number and you're all that stuff and what kind of car you had. I think it was probably 45 minutes later I got approved. You know, okay. may, I maybe I'm lying. Okay? Did they de- need to do a background check yeah, on you? Yeah. So I had did to give they, I had to give a lot of info. The resume and everything? No, no. It's like they want to know if you had car crashes, have you been arrested? You know, it, they did a criminal background check, and and you know, um, I started. I I've driven maybe four or five times, and do I do it because I need the money? No. I started that one dare, um, and I went down to Glenwood. Yeah. Okay, on a Saturday night. And I figured I was I was doing my civic duty, right? <laughs> Not letting these young kids drive drunk. Right, right, right. So I, they get in the car and they always want to chat. And it's and it's I meet young people and I meet you know I've had some older people too, but the greatest thing is when they they say, "Do you have another job, sir?" <laughs> <laughs> and I say, "Yeah, I'm a cardiologist," and they burst out laughing. Uh, first, they don't believe me, you know, and so I whip out my, you know, uh, identification cards and stuff, and they laugh even harder, and they say, what are you doing this for? And I say, well, you know, I tell them the story my daughter dared me, and I actually kind of enjoy it. And so I make a little video of them saying, hi, Nani, your dad's a real, that's her, uh, Eleanor's nickname, your dad's a real good Uber driver, we had a good time. And um, then they say, you know, where'd you go to college? You know, Princeton. And they laugh even harder. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if you've seen Shaq drives an Uber, uh, at, you know, for that show um, where you get in an Uber and Shaq's driving. <laughs> and I'm not Shaq, of course. But, you know, there's something to be said for having a side gig when you don't really need right. to make money on it. But it's. It's also, you know, you get an idea of the kind of things that people do to make money and how hard it is. Right. You know, so, for example, do you use DoorDash? You yeah. live out in the country. Yeah. yeah. I always tip high on DoorDash. Oh, you, yeah. And let me tell you, the DoorDashers that I have are wonderful people. They, and they're bringing me food that's yeah. twice as expensive as if I went to the restaurant. Sure. You know? But, um, you know, it, it it's... It's my side gig. Now, I haven't done it in six months, but now I, okay. Um, You're going to do it. Hey, you know what we should do? We should do a show f- as I'm driving an Uber, and, and we have captive callers. Great, great idea. You know, yeah. Great idea. Well, I can tell you that there's only one thing worse than having a uh, having an Uber driver who is a cardiologist. That would be having your cardiologist actually be... Be an Uber driver for most of the week. Yeah. You know, you don't want that. 
All right, this is Heart Health Radio. I do appreciate you staying with us. It's been a fun day. We'll be back next week at this time on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF.